Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. Welcome back. Today we're continuing our series called Unstoppable as we journey through the Acts of the Apostles. And today we'll be finishing up the 12th chapter of the book of Acts. Uh, We've called this series Unstoppable because we see that after Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, the Holy Spirit descended on the 120 that were there on Pentecost Sunday. And the church was born. The church has grown from just the 120 to over 2 billion souls. Every nation, every tribe, every tongue. Today's message is called The Death of a Hypocrite. And we'll be talking about King Herod, specifically King Herod Agrippa, who lived from around 11 BC to 44 AD. He's the grandson of Herod the Great. We'll be reading from chapter 12 in the book of on the Acts of the Apostles, beginning at verse 18. Now, the context, you've got to know the context. The context for today's verses are the previous 17 verses, where we see that um, J, uh, King Herod killed James the Apostle. Then he arrested Peter and had exactly the same thing in mind for Peter. Uh, but it happened to be during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And as a result, there were seven, eight days between Peter's arrest and the time that the execution was going to take him. And the church had earnest prayer, unceasing prayer for Peter. And God sent an angel and sprung Peter from prison. So this is the next day. Verse, nine, verse 18 uh, begins with the, with the very next day. Then as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers about what had become of Peter. But when Herod had searched for him and not found him, he examined the guards and commanded that they should be put to death. And he, that's Herod, went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. Now Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord. And having made Blastus, the king's personal aide, their friend, they asked for peace because their country was supplied with food by the king's country. So on a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne and gave an oration to them. And the people kept shouting, the voice of a god and not a man. Then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God. And he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God grew and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry, and they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. Now this message today is called The Death of a Hypocrite. And of course it's based on this account we just read of Herod, Herod the king. Uh, And we'll talk about Herod in a minute. However, there there is so much more that we can learn from this passage today. And some of the best insights we can gain isn't so much about Herod, this, this evil and ruthless king and hypocrite as much as he was. We can also learn a lot about the difference between truth and falsehood, the real and the fake, and also the difference between the real believer and the hypocrite. 
Have you ever thought, bought something that you thought was real and it ended up being a fake? You know that old saying, if it's too good to be true, it, it typically is. Well, that happened to me. I was actually given um, uh, a Rolex watch. Now, it, it, it looks very, very real, and, but I was pretty sure that it was, it was a knockoff. And looking back, I probably should have refused the gift, but I had never had a Rolex, and it was a, a cool-looking watch. So I had the watch. Well, the band needed to be adjusted. So I figured, well, I need to get the band adjusted. Why not go to a jewelry store that sells the real thing and see if they'll actually adjust the band? So I did exactly that. I went into a, to a, a nice expensive jewelry store that sold Rolexes, brought in this Rolex, which was still in a box, and I said, can you adjust it? And they were, they were very nice to me. Now, I was sure that when they opened the box, alarms would be going off and, and there was going to be a big ruckus, but nothing, nothing like that happened. Uh, it was actually a, a very nice person, and then the guy came back to me, and he kind of looked at me kind of strange, and he had the watch, and he said, I just want to make sure it fits. So he, he put it on my wrist, and it was, it was perfect. It looked just great. And he said, I don't want to insult you, sir. He said, but I showed this to my manager as well, and we think this is probably the best knockoff of a Rolex we, we've ever seen. So I don't know whether it was a compliment or, or not, but, but uh, I, was, I was surprised. Now, actually, I, I wore that Rolex off and on for, for a couple of years. It was a beautiful watch, uh, even though it was a knockoff. And it, it performed beautifully for a couple of years, but wouldn't you know that after just a, two years with a little bit of casual wear, the minute hand fell off and was rolling around in the bottom of the crystal. It just goes to show you that you get what you pay for, and there's a big difference between the real thing and the imitation. You know, the... Um, the Rolex looked pretty good, and that Rolex brand is actually what, what, what stood out. Uh, when I was in business school, uh, we were taught that the brand, any brand, whether it's Mercedes or Rolex or Jaguar or, or any brand at all, is, is a promise. Have you ever thought of it that way? The brand is a promise. It's a promise of, 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 of quality. It's a promise that whatever you're buying is going to perform exactly as, as it's supposed to. Um, it's, it's the real thing. So, so the question is this, is how can you tell the difference between the real thing and a fake? As I said, I had a lot of difficulty taking a look at that Rolex because I wasn't really sure what Rolexes were supposed to look like. The Bible says that deception will, will rise its ugly head, especially during the end times, the, the time just prior to the return of Jesus Christ. Deception, including lies, half-truths, and fraud, has actually been a tool of Satan from the very beginning. The Bible says, now the serpent was more cunning than any of the other beasts of the field which the Lord God had made. That's out of Genesis chapter 3. And, and this was the introduction of the scripture uh, that tells how Satan deceived Eve in the Garden of Eden. The serpent is the devil. And his deception started in heaven sometime after God created the heavens and the earth because the scripture says that Satan tried to ascend to the throne, meaning God's throne. But he was cast out and he took one-third of the angels with him. He deceived them as well and continues to this day, the devil does, Satan, to be a thief, a liar, and the deceiver of mankind. You can't outsmart Satan. You can't outlast him. You can't beat him. But the Bible says we can resist him. 
The truth is, is that Satan has already been beaten. He knows that his, his time is short. And while he's ultimately going to lose the battle, his intention is to take as many of us with him as, as possible. So let's get back to the scripture for today. Verse 18 started off by telling us that Herod discovers that Peter is, is missing and he examines the guard. Now, here's the thing. Most likely, in all cases, Herod, we have, in fact, we even have a clue that because he, he stationed four squads of soldiers is an indication that Herod knew that it was likely that Peter was going to escape and that escape was going to have a, a supernatural element to it. Peter escaped once before in Acts chapter 5. Herod was very much aware. He was not unaware at all. He was aware that Peter and John and some of the other disciples of Jesus had been able to perform miracles, just like Jesus of Nazareth had been able to do just a few years prior. There have been so many miracles performed by the apostles that it would have been impossible for Herod not to know. Peter and John had healed a lame man on the Sabbath. They had ended up in prison the first time. That's how they ended up in prison. And it was said that people would be lining up. The book of Acts says that people would line up hoping that the shadow of Peter would fall on them because they believed that even if the shadow of Peter fall on them, they would be healed. But what does the scripture say? What does it say about Herod, the king that had the power of life and death and knew very well that this was most likely a, a supernatural uh, event? Verse 19 says, but when Herod had searched for him and not found him, he examined the guards and commanded that they should be put to death. Now, while it was common to put to death any Roman guard that allowed a prisoner to escape, Herod knew, he had to know that this was a miraculous escape, a genuine miracle. The scriptures tell us that it was four squads of soldiers, meaning four by four, that's 16 soldiers that Herod had put to death. Two were shackled to Peter at all times and the other guards rotated every, every six hours. That's a lot of people that Herod put to death. While ancient kings were not necessarily known for their kindness, King Herod actually had his moments. In many ways, King Agrippa, King Herod Agrippa was more like his grandfather, Herod the Great, than his father or any of his uncles or cousins. They all creatively found ways to anger, to, to incense, and to enrage the Jewish people. But Herod Agrippa was different. He was very interested in, in the, the Jewish religion. He was invested. Uh, the, bio, the, the history books say that he was a, a frequent participant at some of the Jewish feasts. Herod Agrippa was a, a nominal Jew, according to some historians, somewhat like his more famous grandfather. Uh, one scholar put it this way, um, he, was, he was like Herod Agrippa, Caesar, Caesar Augustus had, was, had said, was said to have made a pun about Herod the Great, and the pun was that he would rather be Herod's pig than his son. And the reason was, is, is Herod the Great avoided pigs, but two of his sons he had strangled to death. Herod Agrippa was the consummate insider. He was educated in Rome. He became a good friend of future emperors Caligula and Claudius and actually became the king of the area of Judea, a considerable territory, by his friend Claudius when Caligula, Caliglia was assassinated. Scholars agree that Herod Agrippa sought the favor of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Herodians. 
Uh, Herodians, by the way, was a new semi-religious sect like the Pharisees and Sadducees that aligned themselves very closely with Herod. Um, Herod avoided unclean foods, at least in public. He frequented the temple and he found favor with the religious leaders because of his interest in the, the Jewish law. Professing to believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then showing no mercy uh, to James, the apostle, in killing 16 of his soldiers uh, in a rage is, calling, is the calling card of a hypocrite. His erratic behavior is recorded by Dr. Luke in the next verses on, in the 12th chapter of the Acts of the Apostles. Verse 19, he said, it says, And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. Verse 20, now Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and having made Blastus, the king's personal aid, their friend, they asked for peace, because their country was supplied with food by the king's country. Uh, the scripture says that Herod returned actually to Caesarea, and that's where his official palace was located. And then Luke begins to introduce this story about the people of Tyre and Sidon, and the beginning of the end of Herod of Grippa. The, this introduction is really, it's really not important to the story. The important part is that Herod accepts the praises of, the, of man and does not give glory to God, and as a result, he, he dies. So why did Dr. Luke include these details? In particular, there's a person's name here, Blastus. Luke says that Blastus was the king's personal aid, and they had made a friend of him. Well, here's the, th here's the thing. No one knows who Blastus is. I don't know who he is. In fact, I don't know anybody named Blastus. But it demonstrates for us the difference between fact and fiction. Now, follow along here. If you recall, I mentioned that this story would not only show us the difference between truth and falsehood, the real and the fake, and of course, the true believer and the hypocrite. Now, we've already discovered the hypocrite. That's, that's obvious. That's Herod. Having, having Luke include the name Blastus into this narrative about Herod actually demonstrates truth over falsehood. It presents the real versus the fake. True historical narratives, according to the experts, include these types of, of, of detail that folklore and mythology do not include. Trained law enforcement detectives today are, are trained to listen for miscellaneous random details in a story. If the story actually has none, it doesn't have the same weight, the same ring of truth as a narrative that includes some of these random details. Uh, while you and I and no one living today knows who Blastus was, um, the gospel writer and the author of the book of Acts is writing, there are many people at the time that were knowledgeable of, of these details. Scholars generally agree that the Acts of the Apostles was likely completed by Dr. Luke about 20 years after this event. And it was available, uh, somewhat, somewhat widely available, in letter form. And there were people at that time, 20 years later, that could easily remember these events and these dates. And they probably even knew Blastus. Blastus actually becomes a casual fact, a, a random indication that Dr. Luke is reporting actual history. It's not a fable, it's not a fantasy, it's truth, not fiction. The same verse 20 makes mention of Tyre and Sidon. 
and how they were supplied with food. They imported their food from the area we know as Galilee. This statistic is also support, supported historically and gains uh, identifiable um, uh, truth. These are, again, random facts that are added to the narrative and it identifies this narrative as fact rather than fiction. Let's continue verse 21 with the demise of Herod. Verse 21 says, So on a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne and gave an oration. And the people kept shouting, The voice of a God and not a man. Then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him, because he did not give glory to God, and he was eaten by worms and died. So here's the story. Herod puts on his, his royal robes. He sits on the throne and he gives a, a speech. Josephus, the noted Jewish historian, provides a, a few more details of this event from his account in Antiquities, chapter 19. Now when Agrippa had reigned three years over all Judea, he came to the city of Caesarea, for whose well-being he'd been informed that a certain festival was being celebrated. At this festival, a great number were gathered together of the principal persons of dignity of his province. On the second day of the spectacle, he, that's Herod Agrippa, put on a garment made wholly of silver, of a truly wonderful texture. And early in the morning, the silver of his garment, being illuminated by the fresh reflection of the sun's rays, shone out in a wonderful manner as to spread awe over all those that looked intently upon him. Presently, his flatterers cried out, one from one place and another from another, that he was a god. Josephus said that this was not for Herod's good and reports further, he says, he was immediately smitten. See, this is exactly like the gospel account. He was immediately smitten with violent pains, scolded his friends for flattering him and accepted his imminent death. He experienced heart pains and the pain of the abdomen and died after five days. See, Josephus is a, a noted historian and often serves the purpose of providing what's called extra-biblical evidence uh, for the Bible, meaning it's a written record from a different non-biblical source. Here again, we see the truth of the biblical account and the difference between fact and fiction. This additional information doesn't contradict. It provides other details, not insignificant except that it supports the veracity of what Luke reported in his account, the truthfulness of that account. So the question is, why did Herod die? Why did God smite him? Herod believed that he was born to rule, born to be a king. He was, both, he was good friends with both Caliglia and Claudius, both of them Caesars, and throughout the Roman Empire, the Caesars were thought to be gods. Julius Caesar was the first of the Roman empires to be declared a god, and there's an inscription dating back to 49 BC in the city of Ephesus, which says this about him, descendant of Ares and Aphrodite, the god who has become the universal savior of human life. Now, and see, Rome was not unique in thinking of their kings as gods. The Egyptian pharaohs, the kings of, the ancient, uh, of ancient Egypt, were considered gods by, in their culture. And this is not something that disappeared with, with Rome. 
This, the divine right of kings is a European political doctrine that survives to this day. It's, it's, it's asserted that the kings derive their authority from God. Now the scriptures share that point of view as well. Romans 13, chapter 13, verse 1 says, For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist, meaning kings and governors, are appointed by God. Daniel chapter 14 says that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men. He gives it to whomever he wills and sets over it the lowest of men. Now the divine right of king that's even popular today goes further than what the Bible actually says. And it actually contradicts God's right to choose the ruling authority. The divine right of king embraces the belief that this authority is passed from father to son or to daughter, legitimizing the what's called the order of succession. Surprisingly, many of the royals not only believe they have the right to rule based on their family line, but some continue to think of themselves as gods. King James VI of Scotland, for example, decreed in the 17th century, kings are not only God's lieutenants upon earth and sit upon God's throne, but even by God himself they are called gods. In the scriptures, kings are called gods, and so their power after a certain relation compared to divine power. Now, I did a little quick search in the Bible, and I didn't find anything like that in the scriptures that this King James VI is quoting. Uh, so, so, again, they, why did Herod die? Well, we can only speculate, but we do know for sure that this was of God. What does God hate? Well, Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19 says this. There are six things that the Lord hates. Seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. Sounds like six or seven good reasons right there for Herod to die. These reasons included a lying tongue and false witness. Both of these are earmarks of the hypocrite. Now, many people think that hypocrisy is the difference or the gap between who we are and who we know we should be. Uh, the mismatch between our, our flesh and the spirit. Uh, but that's, that's wrong. That's not hypocrisy. Even the Apostle Paul said, I, I know that nothing good lives in me, that is in my flesh. I have a desire to do that which is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I wish to do, but I instead do that which I wish not to do. And I do not, if I do not do what I want, it is no longer I, but it's the sin living in me that does it. That's out of Romans chapter 7, verses 18 through 20. You see, this is not hypocrisy. This is what the Bible calls sin. It means we are not yet where God ultimately is going to take us. Tim Chalice, uh, the pastor at Grace Fellowship Church in Toronto, he's, I like this. He says, hypocrisy is theatrical religion. A religion um, as a means of personal enrichment or enhanced reputation. It's an abomination to the God who sees and knows the heart of man. Now, Herod was the ultimate hypocrite. Verse 3 of the same chapter, of chapter 12, says that after he killed James, he saw that it pleased the Jews. So he had 
Peter arrested. Which Jews did it please? It was the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and this new group called the Herodians. Herod was an insignificant, power-hungry, self-centered political animal. He was too much like his grandfather, Herod the Great. He shed innocent blood, he had a heart that devised wicked plans, and feet that made haste to run to evil, just like the proverb said. Herod used the Jewish religious system for political gain. Herod was a fake, a hypocrite, an imposter, and he was stricken by worms and died in his 50s, an early demise of a very wicked king. Let's continue and see how Dr. Luke finishes up this chapter. Verse 24 says, but the word of God grew and multiplied. Verse 25, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry and they also took with them John Mark, John whose surname is Mark. Now Luke records in verse 24, the, this, he starts off this word and it says, but. Uh, don't you know there's always a but? God struck Herod and he died, but the word of God grew and multiplied. God protects his people, God prospers his word. You know, James was killed, but an angel of God brought Peter out of jail and rescued him from certain death. Peter was in jail, but the people of God prayed earnestly and God sent an angel. Now Luke in these chapters is actually doing some housekeeping. He's weaving together this narrative for us, the history of the, the earlier church. We read earlier that Barnabas and Saul had gone to Jerusalem with funds that they collected in Antioch for relief of the famine. And by the way, it's the same famine that caused the stir in Tyre and Sidon, and in which Herod gave his political speech. Likely, promised, Herod promised them food and relief from the famine and all kinds of good things, things that he was never going to be able to deliver because an angel of the Lord struck him. Luke also tells that they brought back from Jerusalem John Mark. Uh, this is the John Mark in whose mother's house the church had been praying. When Peter was released or when he escaped from prison, he went to where the church was praying and it said that was in the, how, the mother of John Mark. This is John Mark who would accompany Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. He would have some struggles and clash initially with Paul However, this John Mark is also called simply Mark, or the author of the Gospel of Mark. Now, while we don't know for sure, many scholars and authorities believe that Mark was the very first one to, to actually publish a Gospel account, likely as early as 55 to 59 AD, providing a needed Gospel narrative to the growing church. And so Luke wrote, but the Word of God grew and multiplied. Perhaps Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, added these words, identifying that what John Mark was going to be writing was, in fact, the Word of God. It's the Word of God that we now read. The four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, along with this narrative that Dr. Luke wrote, the Acts of the Apostles. Let's pray. Father God, I want to thank you, Lord, for who you are. We thank you, Lord, You've for this You've been listening story to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.